not going to read the entire chapter today, but we're going to hit it like we did last week as we move through the message today. Pray with me if you will. Father, I thank you for this wonderful day that we have to come into your house and together with your people. We now turn our attention to your word and we ask you to tune our ears to your spirit and to your voice. That as we listen today, Father, that we will hear the words that are spoken and we will hear them and catch them in our spirit and that we will be changed by it and never, ever, ever be the same again because of your word. Anoint me today. Let my words be effective. Let them represent you well. And Father, I'll give you praise for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, even though that we know that it won't work, we do it anyway. Even though we know we can't do it and turn the mind and twist the mind of God. Even though we know deep down that it really doesn't do any good anyway, we still do it. And you know what I'm talking about today. I've already told you that is debating and bargaining with God. Have you been serving the Lord very long at all? There's been a time in your life when you said something like this, God, if you'll do this, I'll do that. How many of us are guilty this morning? Can I see your hands? There are a few too holy people in this room today. Or we'll say, Lord, if you'll just come through this one time, I promise that I'll come through for you for the rest of my life. Or here's the one I really like. Lord, I know that I've committed that sin many, many times. But if you'll forgive me, Lord, just one more time, I promise I'll never do it again. How many of you are guilty of that? Oh, yeah. And then we say next week, Lord, I did it again. Forgive me again. Let me tell you, when we start bargaining with God, we're in trouble because we are trying to trade or swap that which is imperfect and from, from us for that which is perfect, which is what God provides for us. Now, let's do a little bit of review this morning. If you remember from last week, we're talking about a minor prophet by the name of Habakkuk. His name means literally to embrace or to wrestle with. And the whole idea here is that his name represents what he did in his life. And that was to wrestle with God. He lived in Israel just after a, a civil war was fought between Israel and Judah. Israel split off and went to the north. And Judah split off and went to the south. Habakkuk went with Judah. Now, Israel had already been captured by the Assyrians. They were being punished by God. God allowed the Assyrians to come in and take them captive, and he was punishing them for their sins. Judah had not yet been, uh, they had not yet been punished. Thank you, I got it out. But they were about to be punished because God was allowing the Babylonians to come and to take them captive in war against them. So Habakkuk finds himself in this place now where he is living among 
the people of Judah, and they are just about to experience the, the discipline of God. And then we come and we see in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, Habakkuk is, is complaining and, and he's asking and he's debating and he's questioning and, and he's doubting and he says, Oh Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. Lord, <clears throat> you have appointed them. To execute judgment. O rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then, and here's what I want you to get, why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Now, Habakkuk was playing his trump card because he was calling upon the holiness of God. What he was trying to say to God was, is that, Lord, as bad as we are, they're ten times worse than we are. How could you use a wicked nation like Babylon to come against your very own people? And he began to compare. He could have very easily said to God something like this, God, here's a Babylonian And God, you know that this Babylonian is full of unbelief. But here's someone from Judah, and they do believe in you. Then he could say this Babylonian over here is a pagan, which just simply means that they have no belief or have any use whatsoever for God. But over here in Judah is a God-fearing individual. Over here is a Babylonian that is known for their ruthlessness. They go through the nations and they destroy them and they, and they bring them down and they steal from them and, and they take captive the, the women and the children. But over here, Lord, is someone from Judah and while they can get a little rambunctious from time to time, basically they are righteous people. Over here, Lord, you have a Babylonian that is mean is a snake, but over here you see someone from Judah that they're just a tad bit mischievous. I don't know about you, but when we start comparing and start pointing that out to God, number one, we're not telling him anything that he doesn't already know, and number two, we are operating in a spirit of pride. We are too proud of ourselves. My mama used to say, you're too big for your britches. How many of you ever heard that? And that's what was going on and happening here with Habakkuk. I don't know, we do it sometimes. We look at other people and we feel like that they're just as wicked and mean and evil as anybody on the face of the earth and yet they're being blessed. They got a house bigger than our house. They got a car newer than our car. Their, their husband and wife, <clears throat> they look like that they just stepped right off the page of GQ or Vanity Fair. I mean, they, they look great and they got more money than they know what to do with everywhere they go. They're peeling off 10 and 20 and $100 bills and us... Man, our, our house needs a new roof and the, and the downspouts are about to fall off and, and our wife and our husband, uh, boy, they need some help. They really do. They need some of that wrinkle cream that you can get off the internet and it'll make your wrinkles go away in no time at all. When it comes time for money, it's always I'm broke and I ain't got none. And, and, and how, Lord, in the world could you use somebody like that 
that discipline me. I am your child. I am your man. I am your woman. Here's the point. God is asking different questions than you are. Let that sink in for a minute. We're asking why, God, are you allowing these wicked people to rise up? And God is asking this. Should I expect more out of people who claim to know me, who claim to love me, fear me, serve me, worship me? Or should I expect more from people who don't? You see, what he was saying to Habakkuk was, is that I'm going to teach you to trust me even when it looks like that there is no possible way for victory. Get your eyes off of the Babylonians and place your eyes upon me. And when you see things the way that I see them, you will see them in the divine manner that I desire you to see them in. So you see, God is asking something entirely different than we are asking. So today I want to give you three things that I feel like are important. When we find ourselves in this place, in this season of life where we're, we're doubting God and we're asking all of these questions and, and now we begin to debate and begin to wonder and begin to bargain with Him, what do we need to know about this season and how do we move through it? The first thing I'd like to suggest to you is that we need to learn how to wait on God to keep His Word. How many of you know that if God says something, if God gives a promise, it's going to happen? It, it's just a matter of when it will happen. God has never broken a promise to his people. He has never fallen short of his word. And so what we have to understand is that if God has promised something, then we have to be patient and wait for the fulfillment of that word in our lives. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1. Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch and I will station myself on the ramparts I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to his complaint. Now what he's talking about here is he's going to go up to a place in the city of Judah there where he can go up. He can move up higher. As you know, in Bible days that most cities were surrounded by walls because there was so much warfare in those days. It's not like these days. You know, we may... Uh, there may be some people in the world that they hate Lexington because it's a home of the cats. And there are people who hate Louisville because it's the home of the cards. But as much as there is that friendly hatred, we're not building walls up to keep all the Lexington people out of Louisville. And Lexington's not building walls to keep Louisville out of Lexington. It's not that kind of dynamic. But in Old Testament days, if, if someone threatened you, they might come right into where you live and steal from you and take everything that you have. So they would build walls around their city and at various points they would, they would put these watchtowers that places that were higher than the rest of the wall so that you could go up into the watchtower and you could look and you could get a different perspective. 
you could come up higher than the, the place where you have been and be able to see something that you couldn't see at any other time. And that's what Habakkuk is saying. He's saying, I'm going to position myself so that I can see what it is that God wants me to see. I'm going to go up higher. I'm going to view this problem from a different perspective. I'm going to see it not from the perspective of this world, but I'm going to see it from the perspective of God. And I'm going to be able to wait. Now, here, here's the, the part about patience. If you're up higher than the problem, and you can see out in the distance and see what God is seeing, and you know that the answer is coming, then you can have expectation. You can expect that I may not know how and I may not know when, but I know that God is going to do this because He promised it and I can see from His perspective how He's going to do it, where He's going to do it. He's going to move on my behalf. The problem is patience. And the problem with patience for us on the, in these days is because we live in a time where we have an accelerated sense of time. Now you think about it, in, in, in Bible days, they measured time by days and nights. The sun would come up at a particular time and they'd say it's day. And then the sun would go down at a particular time and they would realize that it's evening time. So they calculated time based on days and nights. And then some smart aleck came along and decided we needed clocks. And so they, 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 they divided up time in such a way now that we understand hours and we understand minutes. And so now, I mean, last night, most of us here, it's like, I got to set my clock. I, I need to set my clock. You know, I, and I told her last night, because we still have some of those old-fashioned clocks that have to be manually changed. You know what I'm talking about? All these youngsters over here, they have digital stuff. And, you know, it just automatically does it on its own. But for us, we have to actually go and take our finger and go like this. So I told her last night, I said, no, babe, don't forget, when you wake up in the morning, the only clock that's going to be accurate is your phone because it will automatically reset itself. But I am not going to go around the house tonight and reset all these clocks, and I'm sure not getting up at 2 o'clock in the morning to do it. You know what I'm saying? I figured that out a long time ago. You're not looking at some dummy. But now, we live in a day and an age where we measure time in microseconds. We don't just have the seconds. We can break it down to the microseconds. And if you don't believe what I'm saying, how many of you watched the U of L UVA game here a few days ago? If I want to ruin your day today, all I have to do is say .9 seconds. And that's all you're going to need to hear before you lose your victory today. But that's what I'm trying to say. We live in this accelerated sense of time. We have microwave ovens. We have drive-throughs. I mean, we can get what we want, when we want it, and quickly. 
and we live in this, and then when we try to get God to say, come on, God, get into the real world here. I mean, we can break time down by microseconds. How come you're so far behind? I mean, we can drive through White Castle and get a number one with cheese and a Diet Coke and have it in a matter of seconds. And for you, you still got to slow roast it. You know, what's the deal here? Why? You see, God has a time. Verse 3 in chapter 2 says, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. For it will certainly come and it will not delay. Since I came to you, I've said something like this on a pretty regular basis. Expect the best. Yeah, I've heard people say, I don't expect anything at all anymore. I've learned that it's easier not to have any expectations. Because if I, if I don't get what I want, then I don't have to be discouraged and depressed if I have no expectations anyway. Let me just say something to you today. That is a miserable way for anyone to live life. God has promised us great and exceeding and abundant promises. He has given us abundant life. He wants us to live fully. And I'm going to live in the expectation that if God said it, I believe it and it is so. He said, wait for it. It's an appointed time. I'm going to tell you something you don't want to hear, but I'm going to say it anyway. God couldn't care less about your timeline because time is irrelevant to God. You know what God is interested in? He's interested in timing. He doesn't care about time, but He does care about timing. And what God does, He's going to do it at the time when it will be the most effective in your life. Not when you want it to. You know why nobody has ever been able to time when Jesus is going to come back again. Because number one, his word says no man knows the day nor the hour. But, but they don't. Jesus doesn't care about time. He doesn't care if it's a Tuesday at 12.02 in the afternoon. He doesn't care if it's Thursday afternoon in between your soap operas. He doesn't care if it's on Friday when you're getting ready to party all weekend long, all night long. He doesn't care about that. The only thing that he cares about is when is the right timing for this to happen in your life so that it will be the most effective and bring about the best good on your behalf. That's what he cares about. There are no accidents in life. How many of you know that God knows right now when you're going to die? You don't know when you're going to die, but God knows. Hebrews 9.27 says, just as it is appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. It is what? It is appointed for man once to die. That's the reason I don't worry when I go to sleep at night. That's the reason I don't worry when I'm getting in the car. That's the reason I don't worry when I'm boarding an airplane. 
That's the reason I don't worry when I'm eating a chicken bone and I'm afraid I might choke to death on it. That's the reason I don't worry about those kinds of things because let me tell you, God has already set the appointment for my death and I'm not going before and I'm not going to wait around after. It has been appointed my days in this life and the same is true for you. You see, time is irrelevant to God. That's the reason he can't be early and he won't be late. He's not going to show up early. He's not going to be late. He's going to be right on time. A few days ago, an actor passed away. His name was David Ogden Stiers. He played the role of Charles Emerson Winchester III on the old show MASH. How many of you ever saw that? It's a good show. I liked it. And this week, they've been playing some of the old reruns that had him in it since he passed away this week. And, and on Monday or Tuesday, I, I, rem- I forget which day it was, they were showing the very first show that he was on. And, uh, of course, he came into the MASH unit, and you know that a MASH unit is out on the battlefield. It's out in the middle of where the, the fighting is going on. And, and a mass unit is not there to do precise surgery. They are there to triage the situation, to clean them up, tie them up, bandage them up, and get them on an ambulance so that they can go to the hospital and have better care given. Well, you know Winchester, he was one of those, uh, he's one of those guys that everything had to be just so. And they were trying to hurry him along, saying, come on, Major, come on. We got to hurry. We don't have time uh, for you to to perform art on this individual. We've got to get them fixed up, ready, and off the field and into the hospital. Come on. And this is his famous line. He said, he looked at them, and he said, I am Charles Emerson Winchester III. I do not hurry. I do what I do. I do it well, and I move on. And then he continued working on the body. Of course, he found out later that he had to pick the speed up a little bit. But you know, that's the way God is. He can't be rushed. You can't slow him down. You can't say, hey, God, we don't have time for all of your little theatrics. and We don't have time for all of your specialized treatment here. We've got a crisis going on. We've got some things that need your attention right now. You know what God's answer to you is? He's going to say, I am God. I do what I do, and I do it well, and then I move on. Amen. We have to learn To trust Him. James 1 verse 2 says, Consider it joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And then He goes on to tell us that patience develops perseverance. And perseverance develops persistence. And persistence develops spiritual power. You see, in our moments of waiting... We've got to learn to look up to God. Like the psalmist said, I will look into the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. We've got to look up in patience and wait for His Word to manifest. Did you know that if you put a buzzard in a pen that is about six to eight feet wide and leave the top open that that buzzard will remain in that pen for the rest of their lives? Because a buzzard cannot fly unless he has a minimum of 12 feet to get a running start. 
And because he's in a pen that only has six to eight feet, he cannot get up enough speed to get off the ground. And he will just hit himself on the side of the cage time and time and time again until finally he just gives up. Did you know? Did you know that a bat cannot begin flight from a flat service? If I had a bat right here on the ground, he would just flop around with his wings because he can't, he can't fly from a flat surface. That's the reason they hang from your house. That's the reason they can get in your attic. And yes, they're up there. That's the reason that they hang from trees. Because when they need to fly, they just release their grip on wherever it is they're hanging from and they can fly at that moment. Did you know that if you put a bumblebee down in a little glass or a bottle like this, that that bumblebee will stay there for the rest of their life because they don't have enough sense to look up to the escape, to the hole where they could get out, uh, they always look for their exit uh, at the bottom. Now, I could stay right here and preach a long time today about buzzards and bats and bumblebees. Amen. But the bottom line is this. Your answer is not on this earth. Your answer doesn't come from this earth. You are not in bondage because you've been set free by the power of God. And you need to look up in this moment of distress and find your answer in Him. Number two, we have to not only wait, but we have to watch for signs that God is bringing justice. By the way, I just got a text from my, the guys in Knoxville and they said it's going great, so praise the Lord. I meant to turn that off before I started preaching, but I didn't do it. We have to watch for God to bring justice. Now, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, God says to Habakkuk, He says, See, he is puffed up, his desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. Now, this last half of this passage is a quote that sparked and ignited the Protestant Reformation. It is one of the most quoted Old Testament scriptures in the New Testament. It can be found in Romans chapter 1 verse 17. It can be found in Galatians chapter 3 verse 11. It can be found in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38. And what he is saying here is there's a difference between these Babylonians and my people. The Babylonians, they're puffed up with pride. They think that all of their answers come from themselves. That they can operate in their own realm and do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it but my people have learned how to live by faith in a day when they cannot see the answer when a day when they don't know how they're going to overcome they just simply say I don't know how I don't know when but I know that God's word is true and if he said it I believe it and I'm going to watch for the manifestation of his his word. The other day I was, uh, the, the brakes went out on the truck and it had a, had a, um, a hole in the brake line. And so I, I was out and I had some place I needed to go. 
And so I took the truck even without power brakes. Now, the brakes still work, but there was no power. So I thought, well, I don't have any choice but to take it here. And I came, came out here to the, to the exit from the parking lot, and I was sitting there, and I was watching traffic and watching traffic and watching traffic. And I was pressing very hard on the brakes, but apparently what I thought was hard was getting weaker. And so as I was looking, I noticed that the trees over in the park were moving. <laughs> and I thought to myself, why are those trees moving? And then I thought, oh my goodness, I must be getting dizzy. I must be dizzy. Maybe I need to eat. That's, that's always my answer to everything. <laughs> Maybe I need to eat. And then it dawned on me, Danny, that I had taken the pressure off of the brake pedal. And it wasn't the trees that were moving. I was moving. And if I didn't change the situation, I was going to move right out into the traffic and cause problems for everybody. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Sometimes, because of this increased sense of time, and because of the world that we live in today, we want God to do what he does. And when he, we want him to do it in a hurry. And we, we just think that, okay, God said it. I'm just waiting now. It's going to happen magically. It's, it's just going to happen. It's magically delicious. It's going to happen. It's just going to happen right now. I won't have to wait. God said. I won't have to be patient. God said. And then God says, Wait. And we get impatient and we get a bad attitude instead of watching for the signs that God is moving on our behalf. God is moving and here's what he said to Habakkuk. When Habakkuk said, I can't understand why you would use somebody as unholy as these Babylonians to bring discipline into our lives. Here's what God says in chapter 2 verse 6. He said, let me point out to you how greedy the Babylonians are. It says, will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long will this go on? And then in verse 9, he tells Habakkuk how they are guilty of injustice. He says, woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain to set his nest on high and to escape the clutches of ruin. In verse 12, God says to Habakkuk, they are guilty of violence. He says, woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. And then in verse 15, he says to Habakkuk, they are full and guilty of seduction. He says, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pouring it from the wineskin until they are drunk so that he can gaze upon their naked bodies. In verse 19, he talks about how they are guilty of idolatry. He says, woe to him who says to wood, come to life or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver, but there is no breath in it. God takes just a few minutes to say, listen, 
I am fully aware of the wickedness of these Babylonians. I have given them an appointed time so that they can come in among you and bring discipline into your life. But I'm not going to let them cut you off. I'm not going to let them destroy you. I am fully aware of their sin. And when the time is right, when the revelation is ready to come, you can stand back and watch. It's going to take place. And we know by history that Judah was delivered by God's hand and Judah and Israel remain. But you can look anywhere you want to look on the face of the earth and you will not find any Babylonians because God wiped them off the face of the earth. Let me tell you today, God knows righteousness and he will do what needs to be done in your life at the right time. Finally today, we have to get to a place where we're able to worship Him even before the answer comes. You know, we don't, we don't teach enough and it's my fault, I probably should. How many of you know there's a difference between thanksgiving and praise and then worship? Thanksgiving and praise is more of a result of something that God has done in our lives. Maybe He healed your body. Maybe He gave you a, a blessing in your life that you needed. Maybe, maybe you were able to move up in your place of employment and God blessed you that way and you were able to say, oh, thank you, Jesus, for this blessing that you've bestowed upon my life. Thank you, Lord, for my spouse. Thank you, Lord, for my children. I thank you that you have blessed me in that way. We thank Him. But listen, he is worthy of worship at all times, every day, and it doesn't matter where you are in your journey and what circumstances that you might be facing. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy to lift his name and let the world know that he is in control. Come help me quit if you will this morning. Verse 20 says, but the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before Him. I turned on the live stream to the Winterfest Friday night. And Elevation Worship, man, they were just knocking it out. It was fabulous. I'm sitting in the living room over here and I'm thinking, man, I wish I was there. I, I, I know that some of you don't like this, but I like it. I like it when the bass is so strong that it makes my body rumble. I like it when the drums are so loud that I can feel it beating in my belly. I like it when the cymbals are being crashed so loud that it brings joy to my soul. Amen. You say, I don't like none of that. Well, I just dare you to read Psalm chapter 150 one time. You'll see that I'm right on this matter. I make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Amen. There are times when we just need to get rowdy in worship, rowdy in praise, and glorify His name. The Scripture says, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. And I, I don't know about you, but I like having a part of a church that is just ready to get rowdy for Jesus Christ. I love it. I love it. When I listen to music, man, I turn it up just as loud as I can stand it. 
I'll be going down the street and pull up beside somebody at the red light and my car just a bumping and they're looking over at me and I'm, I just look over at them and go. And if they look long enough, I just go. I love it. I love it. But you know, there are times that worship is very quiet and very soft. And I like that too. And that's really what verse 20 means. It says, the Lord is in his temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. You know what he's saying? He's saying God showed up to work today. When I was a state youth director in Michigan, we had an overseer there. And he would come and go as he wanted to, and he had every right to do that because he was he was in charge. He was the man. Everybody'd get there and they'd be in their offices working. Brother Allen wasn't there quite yet. But he'd come in hopping in through that front door and popping in, and he just the first words out of his mouth is he just at the top of his lungs, he'd say, I declare that the church of God is open for business. What are we? Well, he didn't know that we'd been working for two hours on his behalf. He didn't know that after he left that afternoon, we're still going to be working on his behalf. But when he went into his office, he told his secretary, if anybody needs to talk to me, tell them to hurry up. Tell them if they've got anything they need to say to me to get it said. I'm here. I'm ready to do business. I'm ready to do my job. Whatever needs to be done, I'm here. I'm ready. Let's do it. And he'd go to work, and when he was done, he'd just move on out. That's what I'm trying to tell you about God. When he says, the Lord is in his temple, he's saying, I showed up for work today. You don't have to worry about trying to do it yourself. You don't have to worry about trying to create your own situation. You don't have to worry about trying to get your own answer. You don't have to worry about it because I am here. I am on the throne. I am in control. Not only was history in my hand, but destiny is in my hand as well. I can do it. I'm up for the job. I don't need your help. I don't need you to tell me when and where and how. I just need for you to be silent and watch as I move my hand on your behalf. Woo! in that moment when you're quiet you're no longer debating him you're no longer bargaining him with him you're no longer saying God why don't you move in to the modern world we don't do things that way anymore I know that your word says that back in those days that there were certain things that that we lived with and abided by but we don't do that anymore you know Oprah tells us to do something different these days and so why don't you get with Oprah and work it out with her so that we can get you up into the modern world listen you better not be getting your theology from TV you better be getting your theology and your knowledge of God from this book right here because this is the only truth that will set you free. You say, well, what's the end result? What's God want out of all this? 
Look at verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God's letting you go through what you're going through because when He comes through on your behalf, He's the one who's going to get the glory. It's not going to be you who's exalted. It's not going to be you whose name's going to be lifted up. It's not going to be you that people are going to be bragging on, but they're going to be talking about the glory of God in your life and how God came through for you when there was no other way God made a way for you. When the hills were so high, He brought them low. When the valley was so low, He exalted them so they'd be straight. When the path was so crooked, God made it straight for you and He will receive receive the glory so I don't know we don't need any of these people that are talking to God you know they're mentally ill mentally ill Jesus taught listen I'm mentally ill then I'm not talking down to anything or anyone or about anything, but I'm telling you, I don't mind declaring before you and the world that I don't care what the world has to say. They haven't fixed my theology. They haven't established my belief system. My belief system is in God Almighty and His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit of God, which is alive and well in the earth today. And whatever this book says for me to do, I'm going to do it and I don't care what anyone else has to say about it wow ushers will you come we're going to close with communion this morning we're going to pray in just a few moments but if you'd like to participate in communion with us this morning as they get here and get ready then I want you to come. Don't forget there will be three stations. There will be one on the outside, one in the middle, one over here on this side, and you can use all of them. If you'll use them all, it will go quicker for those of you who are in a hurry. And we're going to partake together. receive the elements this morning. Stay in the altar and we'll partake together in just a moment.
this communion today we need to fix in our minds once again the reality that this is the only way that any man can find their way to the Father we haven't been given any other name but the name of Jesus you can debate God about that all you want to that's right you can give him better ideas and our world is trying to do that Lord, there are many ways, many belief systems, but this book still says that there is one name given among men whereby men must be saved, and it is the name of Jesus. There's no debate about that. There's no bargaining about that at all. And I don't know about you today, but I'm just so thankful for Jesus and what He did for me I don't have to debate with him about what's best for me I have learned through the years to trust him implicitly if the book says it I just have learned how to say that's the way that it is it may take me a while to understand it but if he said it that's the way that it is and so I have to change my beliefs to match his beliefs but I believe that Jesus Christ came and he hung on a cruel cross at Calvary. He died. He rose again. He ascended into the heavenlies where he is alive today and ever lives to make intercession for the saints of God. And that he's coming back again for those who are waiting for him and watching for him. I am. How about you? And as Jesus gathered around that table on the last night, he took bread in his hands and he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, Take and eat. This is my body that is broken for you. And they received it. You received the bread. like manner he received the cup and he said this cup is my blood that was shed and spilled for you every time you drink of it remember what I did and on your behalf let's receive it today now I want us to pray a prayer of committal today before we leave and what I want you to commit to is just simply this. I want you to say, from this day forward, I'm not going to question God about this matter anymore. I'm going to take Him at His word. I'm not going to try to bargain with Him. I'm not going to try and twist His arm and see if I can make Him see it my way. 
I'm just going to say, God, whatever it is that I need to believe, I'm going to believe it because I believe that that is your will for my life. And as we end with this prayer, I want you to pray that committal prayer some way. Just say, Lord, I trust you today with my life and everything about it. Will you join me? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you that your promises for us are yes and amen. Let it be so in our lives. Father, I know that our human nature sometimes wants to wrestle with you and bargain with you and debate with you. But Lord, help us to see that we'll never find our way to victory by doing that. The only way that we're ever going to truly overcome and be free is when we trust you implicitly. And we say, if you say it, I believe it. And though I may not see when or how it's going to come, I'm going to trust you. And Lord, in your timing, in your appointed time, the revelation will come and it will take place in my life. So Lord, today I leave this house in peace because I have exchanged, I have transferred my burden into your hands trust you with it. In Jesus' name.